0: Is it spring, or is it not spring? The weather can't seem to decide. 60 degree days, two in a row. Now we've got some more snow on the way. Oh, it drives me insane. But anyway, it's Testazopod. I'm here, and I'm gonna answer your questions. And uh, despite the fickle nature of the climate, um, it's a good time to be alive. We got some great questions today. Also, giving you guys a heads up, Rex Gannon is returning to the store. I have his ultimate form ready to go. There's going to be a early Patreon pre-order going live later this week. So stay tuned for that. If you're not a patron for some reason, patreon.com slash Jesse D'Estasio. Get things early, get things often, get free offers, get discount codes, get 3D files, all the great stuff. You can't even imagine the wealth that will be at your fingertips. In any case, it's Testazopod. Let's go. Our question of the week, which I'm going to focus on for a bit, is from our good friend Charlie Pope, and this is a great question. And I'm going to give an answer that I don't think is the intended reply. But let's dig into this. Charlie Pope asks, What properties do you think deserve modern action figures that do not have a line? I've been watching Futurama and Disenchantment, and sad they do not both have dedicated modern toy lines. I'm glad D&D is finally dipping its toe back into the water, though. Uh, Charlie, I think there are no properties that deserve more action figures, <laughs> with the with the exception of original ideas. Okay, I feel like we've got all the action figures we need of all the established properties. Uh, I do not think there is anything that is dying to be executed in action figure form. I think we've done it all. And I think particularly post-Reaction and post Funko, there's nothing else left. There are no frontiers to pioneer. We've done it all. Even Futurama, that you point out, had some really good uh, Megablocks figures. And if you go back far enough, there are some pretty decent Toy figures that that they had a huge run of. And I believe also there's probably a capsule collection or two for Kid Robot. So I'm at the point in my life where I I just don't see any point in doing more action figures of established IP that's out there. Even, you know, I, I was sitting down thinking, I, I walked into uh, Target, and I saw a He-Man figure of Merman, and it was a new version, but at this point, I have uh, six or seven different Mermen sitting in a bin in my basement from all the years, you know, the the vintage, very first one from Mattel, the uh, 2000X line from the Four Horsemen in Mattel, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. These things just are sort of locked in this cycle of regurgitation and we seem unable to get ourselves out of it even something like Transformers is sort of a diminishing return at this point these uh, recent sort of Transformers the movie deluxe figures should be the be all end all the ultimate you know the pinnacle of Transformer design and I myself am not immune to the charms of it Uh, so I picked up arguably one of my favorite Transformer characters, Rekgar. And I got to tell you, while the figure looks good and it's movie accurate, uh, it is an inferior toy. The pieces don't fit together correctly. The waist seems to be very loose and comes undone easily. The engineering is just not on point. Uh, So even the stuff that's being churned out, while aesthetically it might be superior to the blocky original versions of these figures they're not even sort of offering us anything better than uh you know maybe say the classic line from 10 years ago so i see sort of uh action figures being at a terminal point now that doesn't mean that sales may not be great right now for all these lines that it is uh you know earning a meaningful profit for the companies that own them but Uh, For me, as a collector who critically looks at these things, it's just more of the same. Even the Hasbro Marvel Legends line, which, you know, credit where credit's due, these are pretty fantastic figures, they're pretty widely available, and they're pretty cheap compared to, you know, their Japanese counterparts of something like a uh, figure arts. Even they seem to be running out of characters to do, right? A controller build a figure? Um... I don't know what the demand is out there for that. Are there, there are a lot of controller heads in the audience? Have, have I missed a crucial series of comics where the controller really uh, solidifies himself as a magnificent character worthy of an action figure? I'm unsure. Or do his parts sort of lend themselves well to reusing Thanos' parts? Good question. Then we hop over to G.I. Joe uh, Storm Shadow. And Snake Eyes, vintage Real American Hero three and three quarter inch two pack, which costs thirty to forty dollars for some reason. Uh, this is literally an inferior version of the comic packs, again from about ten years ago, that actually did manage to improve upon the original characters and the original sculpts and give us something for, you know, uh, quite a decent price. And my crankiness extends beyond just action figures. It, it actually permeates and and spills into media, into television and uh, movies. I would contend we don't actually need any more Netflix streaming series. We don't need any more new films. Uh, At this point, there are more films in existence than I will ever have the pleasure of watching. And pound for pound, the contemporary stuff, especially the post-streaming stuff, which is sort of written and constructed so that you can be on your phone while you're watching them, uh, there's nothing there. It's vapid. Once in a while, you get something that pops off that's pretty unique or pretty interesting. You get a squid game or something like that. But largely, all of these are forgettable. They're vapor. Um, the Chris Pratt movie with aliens, Tomorrow War, or whatever it's called, did anybody watch that? Did, has that stuck in anybody's brain? Is anybody talking about that? The, Shand- the uh, Shandra Bullock film where... Uh, she has to cover her eyes and she's in a boat. That's all I remember of that film. Does anybody else have any recollection of these things? Meanwhile, you go back and you watch old Paul Schrader films or William Friedkin or early Michael Mann films. And these are things that didn't have the the advent of huge budgets or CGI or special effects, but they're fantastic films. And the era prior to the era we're in now, um... The limitations of technology and the limitations of uh, the avenues in which you could show and distribute a film sort of made these things uh, infused with a great power. It's kind of like the paralyzing dilemma of choice, right? There's unlimited things to choose. There's unlimited action figures to buy that are going to be super articulated. And uh, therefore, none of it has any value. Endless consumption endless consumption. Just keep consuming. Keep relaunching the same films. Keep redoing the same toy lines. Keep making press release announcements for He-Man films or Monopoly, the movie. All these things that may or may never come out, but it doesn't actually matter because there's a slight bump in stock price and the chair people get uh, a micro fraction of a bigger payout in the next fiscal quarter. So bringing us back down to earth, if I do not have any titles that I think deserve modern action figures, and I'm really not uh, yearning for that, then what do I want to see? What has me interested? What is the solution to all these problems I laid out? And that is, as I always say, the sort of unique, original, creative ventures. I'm much more interested in what a place like Beastbox and 52 Toys are doing, or Kit Lau and Acid Rain, or the Annex Universe. Or even begrudgingly, I have to admit, Joy Toys and their figures, particularly Warhammer, even Haya Toys, now they're they got some interesting stuff brewing as well. These are all Ventures. Hell, even Ramen Toys, right? These are all sort of smaller groups, uh, mostly comprised of artists if not just single creators and their creative visions. These are much more interesting projects. There's much more danger and excitement to them. Um, These are the things that I want to sort of see expanded upon and given more focus. I guess to put it more succinctly, the action figures that have never been made that I want to see get made are your ideas. It's the people listening to this. It's the patrons that frequent the page and the Discord, uh, these are the things that I think I place importance on and want to see developed and grow into toy lines, into entries into this sort of ecosystem. I think in many respects, there's not much innovation left to do in the action figure form. I I look at the Black Series uh, of Star Wars or even a little bit G.I. Joe classifieds, although there are still some rickety design choices going on there. I see this as kind of the idealized form of a figure in 6-inch. It has the right amount of articulation, the sculpting, the likeness, the playability, the durability. It's all there. I don't know how much more we can sort of iterate on that without it becoming cumbersome and unwielding. So I think action figures are kind of at a plateau and there's probably not much we can do to the form of it From this point on what we can do and what we can approve upon is original ideas is characters that we love and we feel a connection to is stories that are interesting i've been jesse destasio thank you for coming to my ted talk I want to talk about card slicers. I don't know if I addressed this on the pod. Card slicers is this trading card game idea I had as a kid, as a a really tiny kid. And I found my notes for it. And um, I must have been 9 or 10 years old, right? So pretty rickety, kind of uh, thrown together uh, sketchbook pages of what I imagine this this great big sprawling game to be. Uh, But the funny thing is the principal core mechanic of the game holds up. It is sound. It actually works, uh, let's see, 30 years later. So I was on to something with this idea. And part of Card Slicers was um, me not being allowed to play Dungeons & Dragons but wanting to create essentially a role-playing game that I could play. And uh, obviously, I had no access to modules or things like that. So I had to sort of invent how that worked, how combat was sort of decided. I don't think I knew that there were 20-sided dice, so I based this on six-sided dice, because that's what I kind of had at hand. I, I really I don't think I had much exposure to the world of all the different varieties of dice. And so the sort of gaming mechanism is predicated on a six-sided die. Now, I want to thank everybody that supported this very, very early beta test of the game. There are two very pretty uh, sort of prismatic hollow foil cards available in the store. Eventually, this will be a game that is played with teams of five characters squaring off against each other. We will slowly but surely get ourselves up to having Uh, you know, a variety of character cards so that that part of the game becomes uh, accessible. There is also going to be artifacts and item cards essentially that give your characters different power. These powers can sort of be based on the individual stats that are listed. Uh, Again on Patreon, I shot a video for patrons that sort of walks you through The gameplay and things like that and uh, hopefully these card slicer beta packs are going to be arriving very shortly and people start playing and testing out this game Uh, I'm very interested in how this progresses my goal is to kind of merge worlds in some respects Um, I obviously have a lot of trading cards and went through a real Renaissance period during the pandemic of Learning to reappreciate, uh, you know, the first and second Marvel card series and their beautiful holograms, uh, even the DC series I liked quite a bit, and I really went through the entire history of trading cards since I was collecting them, you know, in the mid to late '80s. And I wanted to create cards that are really beautiful, and very collectible, and have aesthetic appeal outside of any you know, any aspirations to play the game, but then could also be utilized within a very simple game that is easy to play but can expand into more complexity and more nuance and and more strategy. I'm happy to announce I do have a couple more cards on the way that are going to be joining the collection. Uh, These are much lower run than these original two cards of Grasshopper and Cat's Claw. I'm going to make those available at some point in the future. And all this gets us a little bit closer to our goal, which is to have a full sort of starter deck uh, that we can do an actual printing of. The the sort of beta cards are essentially from a sticker printer. We're going to get real proper sort of card stock, trading cards done with a a booster set. Um, Whether or not this means a sort of public crowdfunding or things like that, I can't really say yet. I, I don't know. Um, it seems like a logical way to go about it, but, um, you know, this is all sort of an open testing that we're doing together, right? I don't think a lot of product these days is really kind of focus grouped in real time. And we're going to sort of sort out how to make this game a, a thing that is one, collectible and two, easy and fun to play uh, together. So, thank you again for experimenting, uh, rather supporting this experiment and uh, picking up those early cards. Uh, I think that, you know, if you are a person that loves gaming, there's something here that's interesting. If you're just somebody that likes to appreciate the aesthetics and you collect trading cards, I think there's absolutely something there for you as well. So, uh, stay tuned. I got a lot more planned, and the rollout will continue. And if you have no clue what I'm talking about, just go to toypizza.com and look for the Card Slicers banner. Getting back to the question, Sean Gordon, in a different world, where someone else created Nights of Slice, what would be the biggest draw to you as a customer to the line slash brand? Um, You know, in many ways, the entire project is structured to my tastes. So I think it would be a myriad of things. I watch a lot of Twitch. I probably watch more Twitch than I do Uh, You know, streaming services, I absolutely do. Uh, So the idea of a creative venture sort of playing out on Twitch in real time with sales and drops and things like that, that's very interesting to me. Um, Obviously, I tend towards narrative and comics and stories and fragmented uh, mythologies. Um, You know, a good example of that is like upcoming Elden Ring, right? Already there's some wonderful videos about the lore behind it and I'm non-stop gobbling that stuff up. I want to know these little tidbits. I want to do deep dives on these characters and I'm anticipating the release of that game. So, um, you know, that is sort of... The, my compulsion for that stuff definitely plays into the presentation of Knights of the Slice. I would imagine also... Just on a purely aesthetic level, I would probably be drawn to this line. Um, you know, if, it often feels like it's this lost toy line from the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, I hope it creates that feeling for people that discover it for the first time. Like, oh, is Radic an offshoot of a sort of cancelled Playmates line? You know, like... Uh, I hope it creates a little cognitive dissonance in that way. And I always find myself uh, very compelled to check out projects that do that for me. It's something that looks like it was vintage that maybe i it was just a gap in my knowledge. I had no idea it existed. I think another not insignificant factor is the community itself. Um, so you know I watch a ton of Chapo FYM on Twitch and uh, they do a big Sunday stream where there's probably like 500 concurrent people watching at the same time. Maybe in excess of that. And part of the joy of watching that that live program is the chat leaving their comments, which are hilarious. As hilarious as anything the hosts say. And it becomes a really sort of interactive experience. And uh, you start to sort of like recognize the same screen names and, you know... Um, have a kind of rapport with with uh, the fellow enthusiasts for this program. Uh, so I, I think also the community is something that works in our favor. And I think the, the kind of best interaction point for the community is really the Patreon and the Discord. You know, these sort of closed off deep forest communities that are kind of shielded from the overwhelming negativity you find in open platforms where anybody can be anyone they, they want to be and not face repercussions for anything they say. So uh, to get back to the question, I think it's really hard to pin down any single element. Uh, but I do think I've tailored this creative project to be all of the things I kind of like. So hopefully for you guys, um, it fires the synapses in one or two or maybe more of those avenues. And, and hopefully that's why you're here and why you stick around. Next up, a question from Melissa Saylor. Maybe I missed this, but can you tell us what Nikki is up to these days? Will he make an appearance in any future live streams? Uh, so, Nikki. Uh, at the start of this year went off to full-time be a professional Hollywood editor on a couple different animated series and you'll see his name pop up from time to time primarily on uh, things that stream on Netflix and he has made it to the big leagues and we're very proud of Nicky he also is a full-time stay-at-home dad during the day he does the majority of his editing at night when the West Coast is awake, and it's sort of better timing, but all day long, he's with his beautiful daughter, and uh, they go on many adventures, and that is his picture-perfect life. And I'm very happy for him. I do miss dearly uh, the days when we would sort of meet up at Frederator Studios in Midtown, and uh, you know, film until nine ten p.m. at night, and uh, you know, serve up new toy pizza videos. It was a good era. That era has undoubtedly come to an end and it is quite sad, but I'm very proud of the body of work we had. Uh, It also did not make any sense for Nikki to sort of be obligated to continue to sort of co-host live streams, uh, particularly with all the endless technical glitches that come with two people trying to sort of link up and then live stream. We, We really only had one or two streams where everything was running smoothly. The majority of all the other ones were just a ton of errors and glitches and and things that really prevented us from kind of finding good footing on Twitch. Um, So, you know, in order to keep things simple, it's just me doing it. Uh, It's a little lonely, but it's a hell of a lot easier. And uh, that is our lot in life at this time. Will he ever be on stream again? I think for special occasions, yes. Uh, If we do manage to do a Toy Pizza Con uh, this year, whether it's sort of online or in person, I would expect Nikki will uh, be there as a co-host. You know, beyond that, I want to give him the time and space to just, like, do the important things in life, which is uh, further his career and, more importantly, take care of his kid. But excellent question. Thank you for that. Next up from Isaac Carmen. Some artistic ideas come to me all at once and others evolve with tinkering. What comes first for you, the idea or the action, or is it a hybrid in terms of creativity? Um, you know, I don't think I, I separate the genesis points of these things. I, I kind of look at creativity as a, a big amorphous blob that is... Happening at all hours. Anytime I'm awake, and even quite frequently when I'm asleep, the creative process is churning, right? Uh, I don't sort of view it as beginning and ending so much. It, it is sort of like a constantly evolving thing. Now, there are definitely catalyst points to creation for me. Um, recently, I had time to pull out all the bins of spare parts. And just do some builds. And because of that, we have, let's see, one, two, we got like four or five incredibly solid and strong Franken slices queued up for the next couple months. And these are really exciting things, and these are characters that didn't exist until that very day, where I sat in the workshop and uh, essentially, you know, breathed life into them. I would also say, um, I had a very interesting experience, which I think I, I alluded to a little bit in a Patreon post, but it's it bears extrapolation because I think it was very uh, educational, important, and I think that there's some truth here that might help you guys as well. Um, so Friday of last week, I was just feeling like completely burned out on everything. And a lot of that had to do with just my consumption of my computer, and my phone, and Instagram, and everywhere else. And uh, I just felt like a a circuit that had been burned out, you know, just not functioning, just overloaded with information. Um, I found myself tending towards getting into petty arguments and, and shit like that, that inevitably happens the more time you spend on social media. We're sort of drawn into it like a black hole. We, we can't even uh, avoid it. So even though I had things to do that would require my laptop and my phone, and I had people to contact and things to set up, I just locked them both in the closet and they stayed there uh, until Sunday afternoon. So I got about a good 36 hours of no devices. And uh, the thing is, it, it was extremely positive for me. I sort of woke up on Sunday, and I sat down and spread out all of my paper documents, and I was able to plot out the next couple months. I was able to address and fix quite a few uh, production issues that I had never really quite ironed out. Uh, I was able to do a lot of line planning and, and character orders and things like that. And within the span of a couple hours, all these sort of transient thoughts that were kind of bugging me or nagging me or, you know, issues I knew I would have to cross the bridge on uh, for production and things like that, it, it, it all snapped into focus and became crystal clear. And I was able to kind of get my mojo back very quickly and feel good about the work that I had accomplished and uh, just felt rested. And I don't think we, we yet understand or realize the toll that these devices and that social media are taking on us. This is a relatively new technology. It's only been really, you know, the smartphone is, what, 15 years old, something like that? You know, we have less than two decades of this very, very intense, intense relationship to these devices that are held a couple inches from our faces and from our brains, right? So. I think in future generations they're going to look back on this period of unfettered access to social media and constant uh, sort of dopamine hits as a a thoroughly destructive time period, uh, and I don't know what the cure is to it outside of a butlerian jihad or the idea of uh, you know establishing mentats that surf the internet for a community you know, individuals are not allowed on there, um, that's an idea I, I obviously, I've stolen and repeated several times, uh, I don't know what the solution is, but I, I do know, for me, it has a profound effect on me when I can detox from this stuff, and, um, I'm gonna try to invert my days so that I'm online much less than I am, uh, which is not the case right now. I, I kind of have an hour in the middle of the day where I lock everything away. I think it needs to be the opposite of that, uh, irrespective of when I have to actually work. You know, which is sort of live streaming or uh, updating the store, or things like that. You know, that's a obligation I, you know, I can't shake. So uh, I'm sharing this because I I think maybe you guys also do not realize what a profoundly negative effect being online has to, just the the better parts of life, creativity, creation, uh, brainstorming, things like that, it's, uh, it can be a real fog that impairs you. So uh, if you have the means to, see if you can schedule an hour every day to just completely get yourself out of these things. And even better, if you can afford an entire day do it a big shout out and a big thank you to everybody who tuned in and more importantly bought stuff during uh this recent early spring cleaning sale i guess it's not really spring yet but you get the idea uh that was a really tremendous tremendous turnout Uh, I thank you guys very profoundly did not expect to sell out of all of my thousand toys inventory that is pretty fantastic I was down to the last case of each of them and uh, you know the the one of the challenges is a logistic one it doesn't seem like that big of a deal but square footage and space is really hard to sort of overcome sometimes and now Uh, It was much more difficult when I lived in a tiny apartment in New York City, granted. But even still, every sort of square inch has a price attached to it because that can either be product that's sitting there or product that's turning and burning and uh, that area is becoming free for more new goods to land. Uh, Now that the Chinese New Year is over, we have a ton of new product on order. Stuff's going to start coming in very soon. And I was really starting to feel the pressure Of some of these older styles just taking up space and I desperately needed to do a a good clear out and all of you did your part you've really helped move a ton of product Um, this was a very unexpected very pleasant surprise so uh, my profound thank you for that in any case let's get back to questions here Brett Barnicle is up any chance we'll see a return of Grasshopper Knight in some capacity. I know he's long gone, but the new card slicers maybe rediscover him as a character. And I really am in love with his design. Um, so if Grasshopper Knight ever does come back, it's going to have to be in a, a new form. Right? It wouldn't make sense for him to come back on that classic knight body because uh, you know, he was pretty thoroughly incinerated. However, if you guys go and read the story on the website, you might find... There is just a tiny little inkling of a sort of second chapter for this character, or at least his consciousness. So uh, do your homework, go read that story, and we will see if in 2022 this character is, uh, in a way, resurrected. Or should we say hops to a new uh, level or station or something. A hop being the sort of pun here because he he's a uh, grasshopper. Next up is Lance Tomimoto. Any horror stories of stolen toys? Uh, we are in the Tomimoto zone right now, folks. Um, I don't have any horror stories of stolen toys necessarily, but I do have this very vivid memory that comes back to haunt me at night. And uh, it is at Child World, which used to be in Hamden, Connecticut which is no longer there. Not Hamden, Connecticut. That's still there, but Child World is no longer there. Uh, I went in, and I ran to the toy aisle, and there was a floor-to-ceiling, brand-new shipment of Ninja Turtle figures. And this is pre-internet, obviously. So you never knew when there were going to be new characters introduced. There was just no heads-up. There was no Toy Fair magazine or things like that. Uh, And there's this, this evil fat kid there who was just, just uh, really like, struck me as like one of those spoiled brat kids, like very antagonistic. And he was waving around a brand new Ninja Turtle toy that I had never seen before, never knew existed. And that figure was Slash. Now, an evil version of the turtle, that is mind-blowing, right? And there, there was nothing in media... That I had come across that sort of portended the existence of this character. It was insane. I mean, you you truly have to put yourself in you know in the imagination of the pre-internet era when all this stuff was not broadcasted. This had to be discovered organically. There was there was no way uh, to get the heads up about any of this stuff. And the kid just kept sort of dangling it in front of me and like yanking it back. And it was the only Slash that was there. This was sort of a full display, and they had just started to kind of refresh some of the slots. But largely, uh, it was sort of older uh, Ninja Turtle product. I did manage to get, um, I think, Stinkbug. Is that the character's name? The Exterminator Cockroach guy. Which was new and and was exciting, but was not Slash, let's face it. Um, So it wasn't sort of a total waste of a day. But uh, I do fucking hate that kid. I'd love to track him down. And uh, as a parody, beat his ass in that same parking lot in Hampton, Connecticut. Parody. Parody. In the game. Not actionable. Final question from our friend Eric Valverde. Is there an orange glow color or do you know of anybody that's working on an orange glow color? Or as a Glyos maker, would you know of any other Glyos maker coming out with a figure in something new? Thank you. Um, So... I have no idea what the other glass makers are making. Uh, you know, I think largely our productions are pretty siloed from one another, and there's no animosity there. It's just simply we all kind of have our heads down and are working on our own minds. Um, occasionally, if there's, like, some kind of conflict or some scheduling issues or things like that, Dowdy is the sort of overseer who will kind of smooth all the the lines, as it were. But, um, yeah, I have no idea what those guys are working on. I'm sure 2022 is gonna bring some new figures for certain creators, and, and that's always an exciting prospect. Regarding glow, um, you know, we are pretty limited in the hues in which glow can sort of be made in. Uh, the, the sort of glow pigments are hard to come by. There are local regulations that are obscured to me that sometimes prevent these things from being used. Uh, so, I, you know, I wouldn't hold out hope for it. I think the closest thing is kind of a red glow. But again, the availability of that pigment seems to be pretty hard to come by. Uh, I, I did have priced out years ago a red glow capsule V1. And it was about, I want to say, 10 times more expensive than traditional kind of green slash yellow glow. And that was pretty much a a non-starter when I saw the costing on that thing. So, uh, you know, hopefully that gives you a little bit of insight. And with that, I thank you guys for your questions. This was a good week. Uh, To play us out is that wonderful band Z Star 7 everybody's talking so much about with their new song, an instrumental, called Keeping His Surname. And perhaps this just has a couple clues as to the future narrative of Knights of the Slice. And with that I say, pizza out.